You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke, but it would be good if you have version. Go ahead and click version now. All the scripture and everything you need is there. We've been in this series called The Gift of Difference and Grace of Unity. And the major sort of thesis, the big idea of this entire series, is that unity happens when the people of God embrace the differences among themselves and submit those differences to love. And celebrate those differences and honor those differences and name those differences and make room for those differences. Allow those differences to shape the congregation, shape the common life of the people of God. And out of that kind of humility, out of that kind of self-giving love, unity happens. So in other words, unity isn't something we work toward or work for. Unity happens when we work toward something else and we walk in love. And so this series allows me to do a lot of things pastorally. One of the things it allows me to do is talk about Pentecost before Pentecost. Jason, one of our shepherds, is going to talk about the Tower of Babel and its impact on us toward the end. And it moves us in through the Lenten season into Resurrection Day and Easter season. And in that time allows me to talk about something I try to do every year, and that is our baptismal identity. And so I want to ask that you be with us here. And if, any, if you have any questions about baptism after this, I'm here for it. If at the end of this gathering you decide that Ooh, baptism is something I need to receive, we're here for it. But I want to talk about baptismal identity. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. And we're going to do so in a short period of time. So take note if you can. But I'll be happy to send my manuscript to anybody who wants it. So I always like to talk about Christian baptism, which is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I like to talk about that baptism first by beginning with Jesus' own baptism, which is a different kind of baptism. But the heart of God expressed in Jesus' baptism, I believe, is the same. And the purposes are the same. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. Then, of course, we read the rest. We know Jesus was swept away into the wilderness, and this is where his ministry began. So Jesus' baptism is the inauguration of his ministry. And more specifically, Jesus was baptized to demonstrate his allegiance to, everybody say allegiance, and solidarity with, everybody say solidarity, with God's purposes and mission. And the coming kingdom of God. So we'll say that again. Jesus' baptism demonstrated his allegiance to and solidarity with. Solidarity with, another word for that could be oneness with the coming kingdom of God. And what's beautiful about Jesus' baptism is not only a solidarity with the coming kingdom of God, not only his allegiance to the purposes of God the Father, but what's beautiful about the baptism is you hear the Father's allegiance to and solidarity with Jesus. 
In Jesus' baptism, the Father announces his pleasure in him. Before Jesus performs a single miracle, before Jesus ever does a good deed in the name of the kingdom, the Father looks at Jesus and said, This is my beloved Son, and I take delight in him. Today I want to remind us of something far too many of us who have been baptized to forget. In your baptism, God is pleased with you. In your baptism, which is your faith response to God's love and your own proclamation of solidarity, a commitment to oneness with God's kingdom, Our Heavenly Father wants you to know that He is pleased with you. God is pleased with you because in your baptism a kind of oneness happens. You become one with God. And you share in God's life. Now and never ending. God is pleased with you because in your baptism You've expressed your allegiance to God because of your trust in Christ. God is pleased with you because you have received God's life. Before you ever did a thing, the pleasure of God was found. And who you now are because of whose you are. So long before you ever do one good deed in God's name, In your baptism, God says, you are my beloved child and I take delight in you. Long before you keep a command, in your baptism, God says, you are my beloved child. I take delight in you. And this may be hard for us, depending upon some of our traditions of baptism. We may even ask why. Why Why is it this way? And then I would simply say, because this is how grace works. And baptism is a gift of grace because it's a gift to be received. Like the Eucharist, we do not have the authority or permission to assign the meaning to Eucharist. We do not have the authority or permission to assign the meaning to baptism. Best we can do is try to interpret what it means. But the meaning has been assigned. God is the one who assigns baptism its meaning and purpose. As a matter of fact, people were struggling with this, even in Jesus' day, struggling with John's baptism and what John was saying was true about his baptism. And so they asked Jesus, where did John's baptism, what's up with John and his baptism? Like what, what gives him the right to do what he's doing and say what he's saying? And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 25, where did John's baptism come from, from heaven or from men? And it's Jesus' rhetorical way of saying, John's just the messenger. Christian baptism does not come from us, beloved. It comes from heaven. And God has assigned to baptism a divine meaning. Baptism is a gift from God because the meaning of baptism comes from God, not a tradition or a brand of theology of Christianity or even a church. We interpret what it means, but it does not originate with us. And that's an important distinction. And I'm convinced that God's announcement during Jesus' baptism should echo 
in our hearts as we remember our own baptism. You are my beloved child, he says, and I take delight in you. Baptism is a gift to receive, and in faith we come to the waters and receive it. And I recognize that this whole idea is complicated because at the end of the day, we live in a performance-based society. We reward good work. And rarely do we get paid before we've done the job, or rarely do we pay someone else before they've done the job. I mean, rarely do we say when our plumber walks into the door, a plumber we've never met, rarely do we say, you are my plumber in whom I am pleased. We will say that on Yelp later, right? <laughs> on some sort of Google review. Like we don't say that on the front end. That's not how we operate. Matter of fact, when somebody does something for us, when they pay for our meal or pay for our coffee, what's our knee-jerk response, generally speaking? I'll get you back. I'll get you next time. We live in a society of reciprocity and the society of performance that makes the idea hard for us to, rap- to grapple with that God would just look at us before we've ever done a thing And just in our commitment to be at one with God, to be one with God and receive God's love and oneness, just in that very commitment that God would say, from this point forward, you are mine, and I love you just as you are, and that love is going to transform you into who you can be, and I need you to trust it. So the one thing God says to us that you never doubt is my love for you. The tragedy is some of us teach children Some of us in the capital C large church, and even I growing up in my faith, trying to understand this, communicated this, that if children somehow don't obey God or don't listen to God, that God is somehow not delighted in them. That's not how we teach children here. God's delight in us isn't based on our performance. It's based on Christ's performance on our behalf. Even when my son doesn't listen to me, And he does something that is the opposite of what I would hope for him. I still take delight in his sonship. You with me? I may be surprised at his behavior or something he may do. But I'm not surprised that he's imperfect. I still delight in who he is. Even though I may not always take delight in what he does. Because I delight in his sonship. And in your baptism, you become God's beloved child. God may not delight in what we do when we submit to the reign of sin and death, but we should never confuse that with God taking delight in who we are. God has a sense of solidarity and oneness with us. We are one with God, we are brought into unity with our God who is a triune God of perfect unity. And in our baptism, we embrace our belovedness as God's beloved. Now, there's an ethical implication to that. There's something that changes inside of me when I do that. As the Spirit of God enters my life, there's something that begins to shape, chip away at me. There's something that begins to transform inside of me. As I live each day in love, as I work toward faithfulness, because God never called us to perfection, he called us to faithfulness. So as I move toward that, something changes. Because in my baptism, 
I am surrendering my agenda to God and becoming one with God's kingdom agenda because our baptism is grounded in the cross and resurrection. And by the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ as Lord and King, our baptism becomes about which kingdom we belong to. Are you with me? It is a pledge of allegiance. It is a pledge of loyalty. It is a commitment to solidarity. It is what it means to be baptized, as Paul said, into Christ. Everybody say into. That's the language of the text. Not like, not symbolic language, but what we call sacramental language. Into Christ and clothed with Christ. Look at Galatians 3 verse 26. You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. Because all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. But you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now if you belong to Christ, we belong to Christ. So Christ's agenda, we belong to that agenda. Christ's purposes, we belong to Christ's purposes. Christ's valuation of what is beautiful, we belong to that valuation of what is beautiful. What Christ calls good, we belong to that of what Christ calls good. We belong to Christ. Because we belong to Christ. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. If we belong to Christ, then we are heirs to the divine kingdom of Christ. Are you all with me? This is important. And this is particularly important when we talk about unity. To ground this conversation in our baptismal identity becomes important. Because as Paul reiterates in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, in this new kingdom, something has happened now to the humanity among us. We've been given a new humanity. We're no longer just going to be Jew or Greek. We're no longer going to be just slave or free, male and female. We have a new humanity, a new humanity that is not defined by the categories of the reign of sin and death at work in society. Our humanity, because of our baptism, is now reborn into a new humanity with a new core identity. And that alone should change how we act, should change how we love. This new humanity that is born into what Scripture calls a newness of life begins now and survives into eternity. So then through Christ, all the old divisions that have always been at work among us are being healed. Everybody say healed. That's important. Because they're not being done away with. They're being healed. Healed. See, what was intended for beauty and what was intended for blessing, the reign of sin and death twisted. I want you to think about God's provision for a minute. When Paul talks about male, when Paul talks about slave and free, you think about God's provisions. What God intended all of humanity to share and enjoy out of God's abundance. 
was twisted and turned into fears of scarcity and not enough that led to the creation of economic and social classes among people where abundance gets divided into social categories of wealth and status, of categories of belonging and distinction. That part of it was not God's idea. The shared wealth of God's provision was God's idea. A people who believe that God gives in abundance was God's idea. Think about ethnicity. Paul talks about Jew or Greek. What God intended as beauty expressed in the diversity of bodies, from skin to hair, to the top of our heads, to the soles of our feet, and the diversity of cultures that arise out of that that of that beauty that, that are to teach and enhance our lives. The reign and sin of death twisted into social divisions of superiority and worth. That was not God's idea. Think about male and female. What God intended as different biological expressions of God's creative beauty the varied physical and emotional dispositions that represent the fullness of God's triune self, all of it. The reign of sin and death twisted into social divisions of position and power. That was not God's idea. In our baptism, Paul is pleading that the church do away with all of these outcomes of the reign of sin and death. Paul is not advocating that these differences be ignored or limited or undervalued. They are a part of God's good creation and intention. They matter. What Paul is doing He's taking all these identity markers that society has made primary and he's asking the church to honor them by making them secondary and placing them in submission to God's original purposes. In other words, beloved, in our baptism, Paul is pleading that the church do away with dominance, not difference. With dominance not difference. We aren't colorblind. We aren't genderblind. We aren't economically blind. And that is not how our lives work. Am I right? But dominance, building categories of belonging, building categories of power and who's in charge based upon these differences, that isn't the kingdom of God either. Because that's not grounded in baptismal identity. Where Paul said, we are now one in Christ, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, male and female, slave or free. What Paul is saying is, all those markers now are secondary to the primary marker of your baptismal identity. And your baptism becomes the lens of interpretation by which you see the other who is different from you. And because you are in solidarity with their life, and their life is in solidarity with you, what matters to them matters to you. And what impacts them impacts you. There is no us versus them, there's only us. And so when something happens to my black brother, something happens to me. When something happens to my brown sister, something happens to me. When something happens to my brother and sister in Iraq who share the baptismal identity I share, something happens to me. 
There is a solidarity because the heart of God aches and breaks, and so should mine. And when something beautiful happens, when rights are given and there's something to celebrate, then it matters to me. And yet we get caught up as a church in all these different arguments, and we are doing it because we are seeing them through the reign of sin and death and not through the kingdom of God. Black lives matter, and they're going to keep mattering. That shouldn't be a surprise. And it shouldn't be an argument in the kingdom of God. It only becomes an argument in the kingdom of God when we're allowing the reign of sin and death to determine how we talk about life. And that is a tragedy. And what that indicates is a people who are not living from their baptismal identity. They may be living from their geopolitical identity. They may be living from their all kinds of other identities. But they're not living from their baptismal identity. And that is a tragedy. Because what makes me one with God makes you one with God. and makes us one with one another. And my life is made better because you're in it. My son's life is made better because you're in it. And all of the differences that you bring to that life is enhanced and grown and made better because you're in it. Because you become my teacher in how to love someone different from me. In you, my love is matured as the Spirit of God works among us to love each other. And that creates unity. Because there's a solidarity. Because my baptism becomes my naturalization ceremony into the kingdom of God. My baptism is about which kingdom I belong to. And I'm not going to live according to the rules of the reign of sin and death, even when it's been baptized in Christian clothes, when it doesn't align with the reality of the kingdom of God. And neither can you, no matter what people like me say. Me and you are connected in our baptism, in our oneness with Christ. And what Paul is pleading with the church to do is to put away the dominance that exists in the church because it exists in society and embrace the difference and let the difference make us a very peculiar kind of people that when people from the outside walk in, they go, y'all don't belong with each other. So that the church advocates with people in the margins of society, in society where they say these people are less human than we are, the church says, no, they're fully human. And see, that changes how we act and how we are in society at that point. That's why we have to give a voice to these things when they happen. Because when they happen out there, they're happening in here. There are almost 22 nations represented in this church body alone. That's a lot of concern. That's a lot of weight. All within this local expression of the family of God in Christ. You matter 
in your body, you matter. And your baptism is that declaration. That because you have been brought into oneness with God, and I am in oneness with God, we are in oneness with one another, and now we give our lives away to learn how to live like it. Our baptism becomes our primary identity marker, and all other identity markers are placed secondary, and then as a result, celebrated and emphasized through that baptism as a gift of God. And we then become a countercultural expression of the world. We become a different people because we're made up of a different people. And that becomes a witness. Because one of the things we can't forget when we talk about baptism is that it is our victory. It is our promise of God's power and victory over all the rulers and authorities of this present age. It is our promise. It is God's promise of our power and victory over the reign of sin and death. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Lengthy text, so take it in. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in bodily in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what God looks like, it looks like Jesus. The fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. You want to know if God cares about bodies? Look at Jesus. If you want to know if God cares about the material, then look at Jesus. The fullness of God's nature, Paul says, dwells bodily in Jesus. Bodies matter. And you have been filled by him, Paul says, who is the head of every ruler and authority. You are also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of the Christ, having been buried with him. Everybody say with him. Not like him, with him in baptism. You are also raised with him through faith. Everybody say with him through faith. Not like him because of faith, but with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with all its obligations and that was against us and opposed to us and has taken them out of the way by nailing them to the cross. And here's my favorite part, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. Our baptism is the sign of God's promise that the victory and the power is ours. Beloved, you have been endowed with the authority of God. God's just waiting for you to walk in it. You've been endowed with the victory of God. God's just waiting for you to walk in it. And here's the thing. We stumble and trip all over that victory, and we stumble and trip all over that authority when we fail to live into our baptismal identity first. But when we live consciously, from our baptismal identity. Then I know that not even death will have the final word. Death has been put to death by the resurrection of Jesus. Of which I have been united. In my baptism. We are children of the king and people of his kingdom. And the power that flows from his kingdom is ours. Because we are one with God. And the truth of this promise of victory is goes beyond our feelings because it's guaranteed in God's words over us in our baptism. And it is only something we can receive. There is nothing we can do 
to make it anything other than what it is. It is just the gift of grace. We are not the source of the kingdom power. God is in Christ. We are not the cause of the victory. God is in Christ. We did not secure this victory because we did good things and did right things. No, Christ secured it for us. We just received it. And that changes everything. It changes how I love you. It changes how you're supposed to love me. Because as Christ has forgiven me, so I learn to what? Forgive you. As Christ has welcomed me, Paul says, I learn to what? Welcome you. As Christ has loved me, I learn to what? Love you. As Christ has extended mercy to me, I learn to extend what? Mercy to you. As the body of Christ was filled with the fullness of God, I remember that your body in all of its beauty and wonder is to be cherished and honored, never objectified, never demeaned and dehumanized, but always honored because your body is filled with the fullness of God in Christ because the Spirit of God lives in you. And so to hurt you is to hurt me. Because to hurt you is to hurt Christ. Had somebody asked me, why do I believe Christianity is committed to nonviolence? Well, there you go. Because to take the life of my neighbor, and particularly my brother, is to take the life of Christ. By grace through faith, we're buried with Christ, raised with Christ, united with Christ. And so, beloved, listen to the voice of the Father from the throne room of heaven. Can you hear him say in your baptism, you are my beloved child. I take delight in you. You can live free because your love, God's love for you is not for sale. And it's not up for negotiation. His love for you has been assured in the blood-stained cross and empty tomb of Jesus. And every week we come together. We come together as the people of God. We come together in solidarity of the purposes of God. We come together recognizing how everything that's happened in society is challenging our commitment to our baptismal identity, right? It's challenging our commitment to solidarity to one another. It's challenging our commitment to love, which creates the unity. It's all the political realities that come in that try to tell us and divide us. And yet what we understand is that in our baptismal identity, in our baptism, all these things are healed and being brought into an entirely new light because of the goodness of God. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 